Green Street Joinery and the American Craftsman Podcast are proud to partner with Montana Brand Tools. Montana Brand Tools are manufactured by Rocky Mountain Twist in Montana, USA. With numerous patents dating back to the invention of the Hexshank system by our founders, we strive to produce accessories that add precision, flexibility, and efficiency to your toolkit. In addition to woodworking tools, we produce many high-quality cutting tools that are used by the aerospace, medical, automotive, and industrial markets. Our end product has a fit and finish that is beyond comparison. Montana Brand Tools are guaranteed for life to be free of defects in material and workmanship because we build these tools with pride and determination. For 10% off your order, visit MontanaBrandTools.com and use the coupon code American Craftsman. Welcome back, uh, American Craftspeople. Yeah. So, Where you been? Uh, I've been right here. Yeah, me too. <laughs> We've been in the same spot. You guys have probably been all over the place because it's been about a month. Um, well, well, you get the drift. We've been sitting down here in the basement all day. Yeah. Um, Hopefully I've been around a, a week ago. Yeah. Um, so let's see, we got episode 20 this week, we're still in the Empire period, and, uh, we're gonna talk about some notable persons. Yeah, um, now, uh, you might think I'd bring up somebody like Duncan Fife first or something, but we really can't, um, we don't have the Empire period, we don't have the style without Napoleon. Right, and we ended last episode talking about him, too. Yeah, yeah, and his throne. Yeah. <laughs> Quite a throne it is. Um because it it's it's just unavoidable. He he starts and influences the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um you know, he doesn't start out to say, "Well, I'm going to create this um, you know, whole period of style that uh, goes across the, you know, western society." Mm-hmm. But he was a super influential figure of the time. Um, and so, well, let's just kind of review uh, what he did and uh, maybe it'll give you a better understanding of why he's such an important figure in, in um, the Empire period's design scheme. So he starts what's uh, the first French empire when he takes over, and it's it's. Sure, it's only 10 years, 1804 to 1814. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, he, he, didn't, uh, he didn't make it. <laughs> Napoleon's uh, reign was short, you say. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, so, and you know, you'll start to see little um, tidbits of other rulers that have this kind of reputation. Um and, and the playbook they use. Uh, so he's a strong military leader, and he's very, very aware of the value of the arts uh, as a tool for propaganda. Uh, that's interesting. Um, and, you know, not unlike uh, people like, um, you know, Hitler and Mussolini and all these other, like, dictators and such that file they they all have a certain side of them that people still admire like napoleon did a lot to rebuild france and Mm -hmm. mussolini did a lot for the south of italy and things like that so they kind of all start out you know uh, winning people over right Uh, so he promoted uh, the developing empire style as he believed it reflected France's prominence and power. So he creates this, uh, you know, style. It's, it's hey, we're France. This is sh- lavish and powerful and, and beautiful. A little bit of nationalism. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you could see that in the, in the ends and things like that, mm-hmm. the, you know, on his furniture. Um, it kind of... Uh, He's an autocratic ruler, so he leads by absolute power. <laughs> no democratic elections and no freedom of speech. So, you know, that makes his voice the loudest for sure. Right. And maybe one of the only voices. Um, but despite all these things, he makes significant strides towards improving public education, religious freedom, 
and, and even more. Um, but it, it's all about control. He wants to control French culture. He wants to uh, direct it, affect it in, in every single way. And that includes the arts. Um, so he creates these protocols that regulate the style of, of art and production and manufacturing. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's strict. Yeah. Um, under these regulations, cabinet makers start designing pieces harkening back to Baroque designs. And, of course, the classical... Um, periods of Greek and and Roman empires. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure Napoleon got a little hard on. <laughs> yes. Because that's what he wants to be, and you know. <laughs> exactly. He sees himself just like again Mussolini. They saw themselves as the new Caesars. Yeah. Um. So empire furniture suited Napoleon's penchant for large components. <laughs> as well as his urge to show off his authority. And the style spreads across the continent because many uh, N- Napoleon's many European, because of his many European military campaigns. Spit it out, Rob. <laughs> You're still reeling from the, the, the secret space program. Oh, my God, that was awesome. <laughs> um, and the Empire style is an evolution of this neoclassic design. Um, borrows heavily from uh, Rome, Greece, and then eventually Egypt. Uh, he, Napoleon admired Rome, the Roman Empire, um, and of course he idealized and emulates these values. He fell much quicker than they did. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so war and classical world and classical world motifs characterize the empire style. Uh, military details, including spires, coats of arms, trophies, uh, motifs from Roman mythology are frequently in the furniture designs. We saw all that stuff: the lions, the eagles, uh, deities, and other characters. The, the the I don't know what you'd call that the woman with the 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 woman's naked woman's torso with the lion's legs and the, yeah. and the wings on her back. That's a cryptid. <laughs> That's not. That's a skinwalker. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, he he brought back from his Egyptian campaign the Sphinx, mm-hmm. the palm leaves. Um, we could name even more the the scarab, um, and I, I believe that sleigh design is is sort of reminiscent of that too, don't you? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, what we talked about last uh, last episode was talking about like Grecian scrolls and stuff like that. But I don't know. I've never seen like a real. Well, I guess I've seen uh, pictures of stuff in museums, like those those. Uh, Boats that they had on the Nile mm-hmm. River, like it's it's reminiscent of that, definitely. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I see, um, and like those, the things that, um, you know, what I don't know what they're called, where the the slaves are carrying them up on a pole. Yeah, and up on like yeah, a, like a it looks like a barge almost. Yeah, I don't know what they call that. They do that. There's a bunch of different cultures that do that, but yeah, the the Egyptian ones specifically. Mm-hmm. You know what you're talking about. It's like a th- like a throne kind of thing. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. This is something I, I had no idea. One of the more unique motifs that emerged was the B, hmm. and the letter N encircled by a crown of laurels. Well, that much we could see. We saw it in his throne. <laughs> I mean, no secret. No secret. <laughs> that's some like some serious. Uh... <laughs> because the N symbolized triumph and glory, according to Napoleon. That's I, a nice I, self. Uh, yeah, it, I think that link is probably the same same throne. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's that's so much there, right? That's it's insane. 
Um, Baron Dominique Vivant Denon. Denon. That's uh, quite a name. Yeah, that's, that is, he's a baron. I guess uh, Dominique Vivant Denon. Um, my French is uh, terrible. I tried to learn French once. I've tried to learn a bunch of different languages. Yeah, what'd you study in school? Spanish. Yeah, me too. And then I took Italian in college. Me too. Yeah, I think I, I'm pretty sure I flunked out of that one semester. It's too confusing when you yeah. when you have learned Spanish for, uh, let's see, I started Spanish probably sixth grade, you know, when you learn it for four, five, six years, and then try and learn Italian. It's just super confusing. Yeah, because, because there's some things that are really similar and some things that are completely different. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had the same experience. Then on my own, I've uh, tried French. Um, I brushed up on some Italian because we were supposed to go to Italy last last year mm-hmm. or the year before. Uh, Portuguese, I've tried. Portuguese oh. is like next to impossible. I heard that's pretty hard. There's just if you speak English, like there's noises in Portuguese that you just don't make. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder where that comes from. I don't know. Because I think it's like a heavily maybe Latin kind of. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird because they're right next to Spain. Yeah. It's similar to Spanish. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder how they got their own language like that. Being... All right. Well, well the Baron. We'll call... What are you going to call him, the Baron? Denon. He, like, invented Denon. those, like, weren't those, like, cheap VCRs? Denons? Yeah, yeah. I think at one point they were good, but they probably, you know, were going to fail. Like Westinghouse. Yeah, and then... You know, they were bought up and all the manufacturing was sh- shipped over to China or somewhere. Yeah, Westinghouse used to be really good, didn't it? Yeah, then, yeah. Then, like, when I was a kid, it was junk. Yeah. Um, I think it was General Electric and Westinghouse were the two that uh, fought over the rights to electrify the, um, or to create a, a power plant from the waters from Niagara Falls. Huh. I might be making that up completely, but we'll have to we'll have to do a little uh, uh, background research on that. Yeah, we'll go with it. There's plenty of people on the internet making claims about stuff they got no clue about. <laughs> yeah, might as well hop on that bandwagon. <laughs> but, Pretty harmless. Uh, <laughs> but it was like Tesla and um, Edison were yeah, the, yeah. the two like main engineers on that were. On opposite sides mm-hmm. of that. Well, and we know how Tesla found out everything he knows. Uh, Ancient se- alien secret, technology. Se- <laughs> secret space soldiers. <laughs> no, secret space uh, program. Program, yeah. Oh man, if if you haven't heard of that, you got to check that out. Oh yeah. That if was... you want us, to, guys, if you want us to do a podcast, a completely different podcast, just on conspiracy theories, we can make that happen too. <laughs> All right, so so who's who's a Baron Dana? Back up just a little oh, bit. Oh, sorry, that's all right. Um, so Napoleon's military campaigns in Egypt strongly influenced the integration of Egyptian elements in empire furniture. So you have the classical Greek and Roman uh, influences, which are obvious, and then you have this injection of the Egyptian. Mm-hmm. Um, and Devin is, uh, Denon is predominantly responsible for the spread of this Egyptian motif. He wrote and published a book in 1802 during Napoleon's Egyptian campaign, uh, which we went over uh, two episodes back. Yep. And he depicted drawings detailing, uh, it says Herms. I have no idea what that is. Herms? Herms. I don't know if that's a real word or a misspelling. So he's director of the Louvre. And um, the other thing I learned while uh, we were on a little hiatus there. Um, was, uh, uh, devoted to Napoleon. Uh, yeah, as Napoleon is sort I'm of getting a, his, uh, you know, Hermes, which is like a design. I think that's how you say it. The country uh, around him. They looted Italy. You know, like a designer oh, brand. And oh, a lot of yeah. that stuff is still in the Yeah, movie. so I, I don't know what I was, uh, I was trying yeah, to spell. Have you seen a lot of Hermes, uh, Olympian deities, ancient Greek religion? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hermes? 
Hermes, well, apparently that not. Uh, that's what I was just reading. That's uh, the other thing that I, I found interesting. Yeah, that'd was be the first that we heard about him. Uh, the Encyclopedia Britannica. But we know about the palm mm-hmm. leaves. They seem fit to note that Mummies, he was, that's, and I quote, that's pretty an extraordinary cool. yeah. that ugly before. man. Um, <laughs> I'm going to see a chair yeah. with mummies <laughs> as the legs. <laughs> That's not right. So that's wrong. Yeah, that's wrong. What's that have to do with anything? <laughs> I don't know. It was in the closing paragraph too. That's what I mean. Why they had to put that in there? Yeah, it was like a parting shot, you know. <clears throat> so and now we have um, play these French names because they sound. Ter- it's like my last name, Barone. You know, Barone. That's but, an easy one though. But I mean, you have to. It, it gets uh, Anglicized. Yeah. So that's what we're doing to these poor French names. Percier. <laughs> Percier and Fontaine. Fontaine's not hard, but any... any Pierre Francois Leonard yeah. Fontaine. <laughs> yeah. So you got uh, Charles Percier and Pierre Francois Leonard, Leonard Fontaine. They were hugely influential architects. Percier and Fontaine. Um, and their work pioneers both the Directoire and Empire Furniture. Mm. So the Directoire, I believe, is, you know, like the um, the cabinet that's, you know, Napoleon, as we discussed, controls everything. Right. So he's dictating, like, um, you know, what types of furniture can even be built. Uh, so these guys are hugely influential because they're sort of the artists behind you know what um napoleon sees and checks off as acceptable yep so together they wrote and i'm not even going to attempt the name of the um book they wrote in 1812 because i put it in english collection of interior decoration <laughs> you studied french how do you, how do you say no, that i in didn't french? study it that much <laughs> Requel? Re- yeah i don't know decorations uh, interiors yeah so they wrote collection of interior decoration that's the title of the book in 1812 which becomes a fundamental guide to style of this time um, and it, it's, it's not just really a choice. Mm-hmm. It's if you want to work, you work in this style or else. Exactly. Um, here's Chuck again. He's coming back up. He's, he's a Paris born and trained cabinet maker, Charles Honoré Lanier. Um, and he is considered according to, um, his Wikipedia page, one of the most impressive cabinet makers in American history. Well, uh, I had not heard of him until doing the research on this. Um, Man, he lives a long time. <clears throat> yeah, he only lived uh, and worked in New York City for 16 years. Um, and he died at 40, which is really, it's young even then, I think. Yeah. Um, so it may be for this reason that he's been in the shadow of, uh, Duncan Fife, also a New Yorker. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, after settling in America, Chuck, uh, (laughs) distinguished himself as one of the most talented cabinet makers of the 19th century. Well. Yeah. After the Revolutionary War and the War of 1812, anti-English sentiment made French goods especially appealing to Americans. Oh, oui, oui. So, <laughs> Contra- contrary to post 9-11 America where everything French was yes. anti-American yeah that's um, but again you could see how these um, you know world events uh, are shaping things seemingly disconnected mm-hmm. uh, style and 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 war and and you know political connections so now you have um, a French cabinet maker. He's popular. He does good work, but you know he's he's not English, so that adds to his popularity. And he's Lanois is uh, it's probably not how you say his name. <laughs> now I've now I've totally Lanier. Lanier. 
I made, totally made up a new name. <laughs> he, he imported French pattern books. So he's staying up with the latest Parisian fashions. Yeah. Um, and uh, what he did was he kind of melded the, the American style with the Parisian style so that he could appeal to the American audience that he was working for mm. in New York. Um, he, wanted, he didn't want to just sell to the, the hoity-toity elites. Right. He wanted to make a living. Not unlike us. We must, you know... You got to make what people want to buy. Yeah, we we try and really, um, you know, persuade our clients as best we can. And we're, we're fairly successful at it. Yeah, some, but sometimes you just got to... Sometimes you yeah. just got <laughs> to make it. Yep. <laughs> make it and shut up. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, Lanier not only capitalized on America's attraction to the French style, he helped to refine it. Uh, his ornate creations became synonymous with wealth and taste, mm. conferring prestige upon their newly prosperous owners. Uh, yeah, so people wanted to own a piece of his furniture. Yeah, that's like a Green Street. Yeah, that's that's what we're shooting for. Yeah, damn right. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's no reason not to. Um, so he found patronage among the American elite and French exiles who also fled the revolution. In case you didn't know, there was a French revolution, too. Ah, all kinds of revolutions happen around yeah. these times. Um, we just watched a guy who, uh, he orchestrated it, remember? Oh, yeah, he's part of the Illuminati. Mm -hmm. um, and during the time of Lanya, they... It's not described as um, empire. They called what he did French antique. That's a whole different thing now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, today his work's called, you know, federal. He worked in the federal uh, style, neoclassical, and, of course, American empire. Um, so uh, considering that he was named one of the most prestigious and important cabinet makers, I thought we should learn a little bit about his early life. Yeah. He was born outside of Paris in Chantilly, France, 1779. You're getting, you're getting killed with these French names. I know. They all kill me. He's son, he's son to... Uh... <laughs> I always unmute my computer and then we get a thing. <laughs> Michel Surreal Lanier, an innkeeper, and his wife, Marie Genevieve Malice. Hmm. Uh, that wasn't too bad. No. So from childhood, he's influenced by his older brother, Nicholas, and an uncle, Jean-Baptiste, uh, who were both successful cabinet makers selling furniture in the pre-revolutionary Paris. Uh, so this is before the French Revolution. Um, and so both of these relatives contribute to Lanier's training as a furniture maker. And you know what they say? You know what they call a furniture maker in uh, French? Was it ebeniste? Ebeniste, yeah. Hmm. It doesn't have a good ring to it. No, ebeniste, ebeniste. I, I don't think they pronounce the A at the end like in uh, Italian, right? Ebeniste. Yeah, yeah. Ebeniste. I don't know. Must must sound better in French. Oh, yeah. That's another one. You <clears throat> If you want to sound right, you got to put an accent on it. Yeah. Hey. And if you don't know what the hell you're saying, that feels weird. Hey, Benice. Yeah. <laughs> I always think, you ever watch Hogan's Heroes? No. Nah. They had like a French guy in there and he used to. I was thinking Pepe Le Pew. Yeah, same thing. How would Pepe Le Pew say it? Mm, I don't know. They still play, play Pepe Le Pew? Oh, yeah. I, I watch it on Saturday morning. Do they have a disclaimer? No. At the beginning? <laughs> on Disney, a lot of the old movies they do. Like oh, Peter, really? Yeah, Peter Pan. You know, it says, like, uh, you know, there may be depictions in this that are, you know, basically off-color off depictions of different... What's going on in Peter Pan? Well, the Native Americans. Oh. oh, see, I'm not familiar with the with the show at all. That's why... Peter Pan, not. the movie? you never seen that? No. That's, for, that's been out since the 50s. Yeah, I never saw it. Yeah, I, I mean, they sing a song called, like, uh, Why is the Red Man Red? Really? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, you see, 
um, that's why I'm asking the question. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the old Disney stuff and, like, the old Hanna-Barbera, yeah. um, all that Looney Tunes, Merry Melodies type stuff. It's littered with all these... Um, Politically incorrect and insensitive. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Lanier, he's trained in Paris, um, but uh, he picks up his, his toolkit and heads to America because uh, the French Revolution. Mm, can't blame him. And, um, yeah, you can't, can't do good work under those conditions. So Hard to do good work under good conditions. <laughs> he, he heads to America in 1803. Um, and though the French Revolution brought the disbandment, disbandment of the furniture guilds and the associated fashionable practice of labeling pieces with a maker's label, hmm. Lanier con continued that tradition in the U.S. despite its lack of guilds. So he signed all his stuff. Um, it's a shame the guilds sort of have, I mean, I'm, I have never been a member. I've heard of, I know of people who are members and mm -hmm. some of the people like, you know, you think about it and you're like, oh man, this is a bunch of dipshits. So it's a shame that now, like, being in a guild that, yeah. is, like, you know, something for a weekend warrior kind of person, whereas back then it was a real professional... Yeah, it was a path. Yeah. Well, yeah, and the, all the members were real full-time furniture makers who, you know, they were in it to, to elevate the craft and not just... No, I agree 100%. I mean, you, you didn't just pay your dues and show up for cheese and crackers yeah um and talk about uh you know and if you're in a guild and that's not what you do i'm not you know, we're not disparaging you but <laughs> i just know of one guy in particular who was in a guild yes and it just kind of told me everything i need to know about that guild we're, we're speaking with limited exposure yeah um and we were not impressed yeah uh, so, but maybe there is something out there that we're not aware of, which would be cool. Yeah. Um, maybe we start our own. There you go. I, I, There's I just mean, not enough pros, you know, around to. Yeah, it, the networks. It's a, it's a network of sorts. Yeah. And, um, but in in that day, a guild was also, you know, a. It was like a, a co-op a lot of times. Yeah, wasn't it? it was a, a construct to bring young people into the trades. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was done in a way like, I know it sounds harsh, but that's the only way people like you and I could afford to train a young person with no skills. They would have to come and work for us for free and do for it. 21 for, years. Well. 14 years. I would say, you know, seven years. Mm -hmm. Because we're going to spend the first couple losing money and then you want to get to and then the next couple he could do some things to you know kind of earn his way back yeah so and then just when he's starting to make you some money he's going to go off on his own yeah it's like listen for the first year you're just going to stand over there and watch <laughs> and then when we leave for the day you clean, clean up, up. <laughs> don't get in the way but it's the only way that it works yeah um so yeah the the guilds that in France are gone after the revolution um so so let's uh let's pick up so materials and uh, decorative motifs in Paris he's working primarily in mahogany um uh, with limited amounts of satin wood and rosewood and veneer inlays um his early pieces show the influence of the late Louis the 14th style uh, but after he 16th. moves... 16th. Oh, 16th, sorry. <laughs> Get your Roman numerals mixed yeah. up. After moving to the U.S., Lanier, he benefited from the more stable economy and access to exotic hardwoods. Which Interesting that, yeah. that there were more exotic hardwoods in the U.S., I guess the proximity to South America. but Yeah, must have, you know, because of the trade and the, the stable economy and... Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm forgetting that things are falling apart in France. Right. Yeah. 
Um, didn't we read somewhere, wasn't there like a big walnut freeze, remember? Uh, in France, they had all kinds of walnut, and then there was a big frost. That killed oh, yeah, 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 trees. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because French walnut is supposed to be really nice. Yeah, yeah. So he had the uh, benefit of the economy, and he started working on larger pieces here in the States. Um, his furniture is characterized by... Uh, the use of architectural motifs, columns and brackets, pediments and pilasters, uh, Greek and Roman motifs. There's this word again, and we're going to have to look this up. Anthemions. Oh, oh it's, the, it's the palmette. How come, how come I can't find it? Oh, blah, blah, blah. In ancient Greek and Roman... Uses it is also known as the anthemion from the Greek. <laughs> can't read that. A flower. All right, so it's a floral motif. Yeah, like a palm leaf. So Lanier's furniture, architectural motifs, the caryatids. There they are: lyres, caryatids, dolphins, hmm. laurel wreaths, and winged figures. Um. Well, you know, we saw all that in uh, Napoleon's throne. Yeah, I wanted to see a dolphin. That's right. We didn't see a dolphin. And a mummy. <laughs> Federal motifs associated with, associated with the early republic include eagles, five or six-pointed stars. Large figures were carved and gilded, while smaller decorative mounts were cast in bronze and gilded. Wow. Uh, so what would... His range of furniture. Earlier work included sideboards, commodes, mm. which is not what I, I looked that up. A commode, I might even have written it down. A commode is not. Yeah, remember a we toilet. talked about that. I think it was in Colonial. Yeah. Originally it was like a. Wasn't it like a low chest of drawers kind I of thing? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So work tables, dining tables, chairs, game tables. Maybe that was a game table yeah. that we saw last. Yeah. Was that last episode? Yeah. As the, the Empire, Empire style, you want to read this? No, not particularly. As the Empire <laughs> style became more entrenched and its success grew, Lanier produced larger, more expensive pieces, including sofas, cylinder desks, and bedsteads. And uh, while his pieces are considered within the Empire style, his work is distinct for being more delicate and recalling the refinement found in the Directoire style. Hmm. We're going to get a good look at some of his stuff here. Uh, and you can see some of Lanier's furniture in the White House Red Room. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's the Red Room again. Well, it, it is the Empire period still. So um, Albany Institute of History and Art, Museum of Fine Arts Boston, the New York Metropolitan Museum of Art. So, I mean, the guy is an important figure. It's just, you know, we don't know his name. Orto Pell Mansion. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Is that? Uh, it's in the Bronx. Hmm. Wow. Is that where Pell Grant comes from? That's a good question. I'm a recipient of a Pell Grant. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Part of my college degree was earned with the Pell Grant. Hmm. Aaron Burr. Lonnie A. Bed. Yeah. Goes deep. Game, game table. table. That's it. Huh. You'd think it'd be bigger. Yeah. And, like, uh, not so one-sided. Right. I wonder what it looks like on the back. Yeah, yeah. I don't see another angel. Yeah. Like, and how do you sit there? And why do they have a, a thing, a bowl on it? <laughs> so... Let's that's describe. For it. That's for Monopoly. <laughs> Let's describe it for the listeners. Uh, it's got a, a four, like a four-legged base with like uh, claw feet, mm -hmm. but they're they're at a really steep angle or a really yeah. Would no, you say I, steep or shallow? I guess it's kind of like a shallow angle. Y yeah, yeah. I, I see what you're saying. I'd yes. say they're about 15 degrees in relation to the floor. If you're picking up my drift. Uh. 
And they're connect. It's connected by like an X-shaped sort of base. We got an angel coming up, but he's he's got weird legs. Yeah, like it's almost like, like they're not supposed to be legs. Almost like a fish. Like he's got like elf feet, and then wings coming up, but no arms. And his head and the tips of the wings and his head are holding up the front of the table. And you got two columns in the back with like uh, acanthus leaves that are holding up the backside of the table. It's kind of disjointed in a way, isn't it? It's weird. I don't see how it's a game table. Um, and it's not symmetrical at all. Well, No, I mean, well, left to right it is, but front but to back, not at all. Front to back, yeah. And it's got like a... I don't know what you call that on the front. Some little leafage. Yeah. Gilded leafage. Yeah, definitely. And the top is looks like it's all veneer, I guess. Yeah. Um, it's a hard pass for me. Yeah. Let's see a center table. Oh, that was, looks like it's, those are bet. This has to be the game table. And that had to be the center table. Is it, uh, or, is that like a, a chess board on the top? It looks kind of like it. What's the hyperlink say? You know what it says? What? Red Room Gerdon. Oh. So that's in the White House. Yeah. This is pretty cool. So Again, he's got people's heads are holding up the table. Yeah, that is the center table. With this this urn at the bottom is pretty cool. Claw feet again. Big S-shaped legs. It's, I like that, Almost actually. like a cabriole leg. Yeah. I like this... Uh, Oh, he's reusing that motif of the sort of like that X. Yeah. The wide band apron. Yeah, it's like a little place you would put like a a tea tray or something if you had somebody bringing bringing in, you know, you had the help bringing in some uh, tea or something. (laughs) That's how we usually do it. Got the yeah, got the lion with the ring in its mouth down here. Oh, I never, I didn't ever saw that. Yeah. I don't know what they call that, but it's something I've seen before. Yeah, good pickup. I mean, at least that's what it looks like. No, that is it. Yeah, I love I love the heads. Yeah. <laughs> so the legs, there's just a head on top of the leg, <laughs> and that's what what's holding up the table. It sounds goofier than it looks. Yeah. It looks really stylish. Oh, there we go. Yeah, these are like some, uh, what's the name of those chairs Clismo. again? Clismo. Clismo? Clismo. Yeah. With some harps as the splat. Yeah. Yeah, those are cool. Nice. I, I like the wood in those. Yeah, these might be my favorite example. Um, some carving on the legs. Yeah, he's got this scroll worked in here. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is less one piece and more two separate pieces, which I think is kind of yeah. what I like about it. Because that single arc, I don't know. Yeah, it's like they make the sides, like the front and back leg have to be, are the are attached and... As like a, a strong element, and then they put the front and back stretcher on mm-hmm. to attach those two sections. Interesting carvings here in the wood. Yeah. Oh, there's. Oh, wow. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. So it's a clismo shape. Yeah. But it's really, it's really ornate. And more of a uh, an armchair, this one. Mm-hmm. More, would you call it a bust? Like yeah. Like a bust of an angel with the wings go back and hold, they're holding up the arm. The head is holding up the arm. These almost look like a sarcophagus the way they're shaped. Yeah, yeah. Both of them had this scroll end here. Another harp. Dark wood with bright. Holy cow. Jeez. These are all definitely related as far as. Um, oh, yeah, it's a good picture, too. 
what he's bringing to the table. Yeah. He loves having the head holding up the table. <laughs> I like the, the angle on these mm-hmm. coffee. It's like it's ready to attack. Yeah, it's got the animal feet. I, I mean, a lot of the same elements. Even even the shape of the the that bottom section. It's yeah. it's just it's uh, a rectangle instead of a square. Yeah. And look, this is actually four uh-huh. symmetrical. Yeah. That's my favorite out of all those. Got these columns in the in the center that go down to the floor. Oh yeah, that's nice. Stone top. Little again a harp on each corner. All all that gold, that gilded, I guess it's gilded brass or uh, no, that's got you think those are cast or you think it's carved? Mm, I don't know. They didn't really mention anything about metalwork, so I'm no. gonna assume that they're they're wood. Yeah. Wow. A lot of veneer. Um, so during the first decades of the 19th century, Duncan Fife and Charles-Honoré Lanier were the acknowledged leaders of the New York furniture trade. Uh, both immigrant craftsmen, they established a distinctive New York style of cabinet making that incorporated contemporary European design. That's the Big Apple. Yeah. Americans considered uh, their work to be the pinnacle of taste and sophistication. Hmm. Yeah, like Fife, Lanier often incorporated decorative elements taken from the architecture and furnishings of ancient Greece and Rome. And he also promoted his European training and knowledge of contemporary Parisian modes by attaching a trade label to his furniture that was written in both French and English. Fancy. Ooh, how sophisticated. Yeah. And uh, it was noted that they both influenced one another. Like, you know, they saw what was going on yeah. uh, at each other. Going, going oh, tip yeah. the tat. Well, that's right. <clears throat> now we come to Duncan Fife, and he's the guy that most of us have heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, if uh, only for his tool chest. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think... The difference between these two guys is that uh, Lanier was the was the designer and the maker, and Fife yeah. was really just the designer, and he had a whole slew of guys building all this stuff for him. That's a that's a very good point. So he had you know he could just focus on designing, and uh, have his minions make it for him basically. Yeah, yeah. Is that the dream? Uh... You know the executive chef. You have they they. Oh yeah. yeah no. they, they they long to get back behind the stove. Yeah. You know once once you're just out there talking to people and. I think the dream is to have, have a shop that's putting out work. You know, let's say you have a catalog of pieces and you have people making them, and then, then just take on your own commissions and you yeah. have as much time as you want to work on them basically right and maybe even develop more stuff for the catalog you know, yeah or yeah time. commissions are just building whatever you know building yeah. spec stuff that you just want to make all right um so having gone over in last month's series let's just briefly recap fife's career uh he was a poor immigrant uh i was gonna say yeah from scotland I was born a poor black child. <laughs> in 1784, uh, oh, he arrived in America in 1784, and he, he moves down to New York in 1791. I think he was in upstate New York when mm-hmm. he first moves in. So he acquired his wealth and fame through hard work, exceptional talent, and the support of patrons. That's, that's a good thing. Yeah, He'd come to count among his clients some of the nation's wealthiest and most storied families. His personal style, characterized by superior proportions, balance, symmetry, and restraint, became the New York local style. And he became known as one of America's leading cabinet makers by selling furniture at relatively low prices. Hmm. It's funny to even think about using the word restraint in any of this furniture. (laughs) 
Yes. <laughs> Maybe the one, the Duncan Fife uh, uh, chair. Yeah, the, the chair. Uh, what the hell's the name of those chairs? I keep forgetting. <laughs> Clismo. Clismo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What angels with their heads holding up the yeah, table and yeah. wings? <laughs> Gilded. Bare-chested women with lion's legs in gold. His, he showed his a lot of restraint in that one. Uh, well, Fife's work encompassed a broad range of the period's neoclassical styles, uh, starting from his earliest furnitures, which bear the influence of his 18th century British predecessors, Thomas Sheridan and Thomas Hope, which we never really touched on, mm-hmm. uh, continuing with Regency, Federal, Empire, and ending this late with his late simplified designs in the Grecian plain style. So uh, to... To wrap up uh, this episode, let's compare some of Fife's work to some of that we just saw from Lanier. We have a Fife table here. There you go. Okay, yeah, a little more strange. Similar shape to the uh, ga- the quote-unquote game table that we saw. Mm-hmm, and uh, the, the liar, I think it is. In okay, the, in. yeah. So he's using that motif as sort of like the, the, the trunk, the, the pedestal. Yeah, little wheels. Little brass claw feet. These legs are reminiscent of the Clismo chair. Yeah, you know, yeah. That real steep angle, like that original carving. Mm-hmm. And it looks like it's solid wood except for the top. I don't know. Is that veneer on the sides of those legs? Mm, hard to tell. But definitely a lot of veneer going on on the the, the top, and it's yeah, oh, yeah, the components. Oh, and so here's the Lanier table. I, I did a good job with those links. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow is right. That's like the same thing. Yes. Yeah. Even down to the little wheels. Mm-hmm. Looks like his, he's got a uh, double liar. That's right. And Feist just got a... Uh, hard to tell. Yeah, from that angle. Yeah. I knew what I was doing when I put these links together. You see, uh, Lanier is a, is a fan of the gilding because he's got it all over here. Yeah, he, he's got yeah. a canthus leaves under here. This thing looks is like that a little a head? It looks like a cameo, yeah, and some uh, string inlay around the top. So Fives is is a little bit more pedestrian in a way. Yeah. There's something about this that I like better. It seems to be a little bit more um, unified to me. Yeah. Yeah, this is like one, two, three. Yeah, and the top. This is just. It it, it just seems to be all tied together better, doesn't it? Yeah. All right, score one for the Frenchman. Sorry, Duncan. Let's see the five chair. All right, there's the five clismos. The clismo chair. (laughs) He he put some feet on. Yeah, they're like they have like hairy legs. (laughs) Little legs. (laughs) Oh, Oh, they're like twisty. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that element right there. No, looks like Uh, like a little chihuahua feet. It looks like it's got little dog legs on it for the front legs. Um, I mean, the the back is is nice enough. I'm not. I, yeah. You know. Yeah. Let's 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 check out on yours. Uh, you know. It, I like that one better. I do too. It's got a better stance to it. Yeah, I mean, we're we're looking at really similar elements. This so, one's kind of like a slouch. Like, it's like, mm-hmm. This one's got some some gusto. It does. That's a good way to put it. Doesn't This looks like it's like... It looks a little weak. It's derpy. That's um, a little stronger looking. Yeah. Like, this almost looks like it's melting. I, I can't disagree. That it's, it's markedly better. And the 
elements that they share are many. Oh, yeah. It, so it goes to show you the, this, just the small changes. Yeah, I mean, look here. Readed, round, scroll, scroll. Readed, round, scroll, scroll. Liar in the back. This right here. The, Even the way the part legs to the foot. Yeah. In the front. I mean. Five songs. This, like, this looks so much better here. Mm-hmm. The way Five put those legs and feet on the front almost looks like folk art. A little bit, yeah, like it's just like a mishmash. Like, like they're stuck on there, right? Yeah. Like you've just like, yeah, like some crazy guy. Cut the legs off. In a junkyard, yeah, like I'm going to stick these doll hands into the bottom of this chair. Yeah, I mean, this. It's so much nicer. Yeah. Oh, man. It, it wasn't my intention to um, uh, <laughs> to shit on Duncan on, Fife. Yeah, but I I found those examples where they had really similar pieces. I mean, who's going to trust a Scotsman to uh, make furniture? Come on now. <laughs> Sorry out there to our Scottish listeners. Yeah. <laughs> do we have any Scottish listeners? Uh, probably. <laughs> do you, Do you recall? We're big the, in the UK. Uh, do you remember um, there was a a Saturday Night Live skit with Mike Myers? Mm-hmm. If it's not Scottish, it's crap. No, I've never seen that. <laughs> that must have been the, you know, because he did uh, that guy in Austin Powers. Oh, uh, okay. Fat bastard. Yeah, it's exactly that voice, yeah. and that would be his tagline. <laughs> if it's not Scottish. It's crap. <laughs> he's done a. I think he's done quite a few things with a Scottish accent. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so this is wrapping up the Empire period for us. Uh, well, this episode. Oh, oh yeah, we got one more episode. Technology, change and finance. in technology. Oh, and finance. That was, that was pretty interesting because it, we kind of talk about, um, not to give anything away, how. You know, you can't start a factory and build up production without money. Well, ain't that the truth? Um, and some changes occur during that time that make it possible. Yep. And that's how somebody like Meeks comes along and. You oh, know, you tell me he had a little bit of a little bit of help. Had a little juice, you know, yeah. a little juice. Well, it must be nice. <laughs> well, I think that's all we got this week, folks. That's it. Thanks for tuning in, and. Uh, See you next week, episode 21. Take care of yourselves out there.